welcome to Grace Bible Church, and uh, I want to invite you to join me in Luke chapter number one. Luke chapter one. We're going to do a short series um, in the book of Luke for the Christmas season, and then in January we'll get back into the book of Hebrews, and Lord willing, make our way through the remainder of, of that book. We're going to begin our reading this morning in verse 26, Luke 1 and verse 26. Scripture says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age also, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah, And greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, and the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she explained, she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the riches and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, 
to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her again about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for what this narrative represents, the preceding of what Christ will do, the birth of your son who would come into the world to save your people from their sins. And as we are able this morning to look at Mary and the events surrounding her being made aware of this miracle that's going to take place in her and through her, Lord, help us to learn about your grace and your goodness and help us to learn about your kindness and to see and respond in such a way that is honorable to you, that worships you, that shows the significance of what you're doing and what you have done. Please dwell amongst us this morning. Holy Spirit, please guide us and direct us, open our hearts to receive the truths that are here. Help us to learn and to grow in accordance with your work. In Christ's name, amen. This morning's message is entitled Mary's Song, and it will be based out of verses number 46 to 55, although we'll, we will look at some of the preceding verses as well to unfold a little bit of the um, story that leads up to this writing of Mary's song. I want to tell you a little story, um, some factual information that I uh, was able to come by this week in my studies that will help us to get to gain a foundation, help us to gain a, an appreciation for what, for what Mary experiences here in this passage of Scripture and also help us to understand the grace of God in our life and to respond properly to God's grace in our life. In the late 70s and early 80s, a new hearing device was being, a new, a new um, hearing device was being tested known as the cochlear implant. This, de- this device bypasses the damaged inner ear and allows a person with severe hearing loss or even deafness to perceive the sensation of sound. In the 21st century, this device has become normalized, and as of December 2012, over 324,000 of these devices have been implanted worldwide. In addition to this device becoming normalized, it has also become popularized. Its popularization is a result of, of um, video testimonies on YouTube of people hearing for the first time. And maybe you've had the opportunity to see some of these videos, and I know that it's not only been on YouTube videos, but also has, has made national news, where they have, they have played these videos on national news of these people who haven't heard their entire life. They were never able to hear a thing, and they get this implant, and they hear voices, and they hear sounds for the very first time. And, um, and the response, the, the reason why this fits into what we're talking about is because the response of these people to this extraordinary grace of hearing, um, the ability to hear is a grace, it's a gift from God, and the response of these people to this extraordinary gift of hearing is, is an overwhelming emotion. Uh, it, it is, uh, you, most of the people that I was able to view with this testimony, they cried. They just wept over the sound, the first sound of their voice. And it wasn't as if it was a, a manufactured weeping. It was, this, it was this overflowing of the heart that that first 
sound that they heard, it, it hit them in such a way that they were overwhelmed with emotions and they were full of, of joy. And that joy resulted in, because of the depths of that joy, it resulted in, it resulted in tears. I've also seen the same principle with people who have been colorblind and they've recently come up with a, uh, a glass that you can, a glasses that you can wear that take away your color blindness and enable you to see colors. And the interesting thing about that as well is that the response of the people who see colors for the first time, having never seen colors before, is, is, it, is, it is an overwhelming joy in their heart that leads them to, to tears causes them to cry. It says, this is a, these, these two things, both hearing and seeing, are two things that you and I, we, we take it for granted every day. Now it's obvious that as we get older, we don't take it as much for granted because we start to be able to see less clearly and we start to be able to hear uh, less clearly as well. We start to struggle with these two areas of our lives and so we, we don't take them as much for granted. We begin to uh, appreciate them. But most Americans take the idea of hearing, and most humans take the idea of seeing, and they, they take it as just a kind of a normal um, right that we have. It's not a gift, it's not a grace, it's not a, a kindness to us, it's just a, a normal right that we have. The reason this fits into the story that we read this morning is because Mary's response to this extraordinary news is the same type of emotion it's the same type of, of excitement. It's an overwhelming um, outpouring of what's taken place when she hears this news of what the Lord is going to do in coming upon her and she, be, she becomes um, the, the, the birth mother of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who will be the king who will sit on David's throne forever. The news that she hears overwhelms her in such a way that you can, you can as you follow the story, you can see her excitement. You, you can see that you can, you can almost feel what, what she feels. And she's experienced something extraordinary and she's overwhelmed by it. And she, the, the text tells us that she immediately goes to her, to Elizabeth's house, who was also pregnant, and she almost the idea of running there. She immediately goes to her house to, to share with her this information. And as she greets Elizabeth, she greets her with a, a the, 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 the word here describes this uh, large hug, it's this intimate embracing. And as she greets her with this intimate embracing, and then Elizabeth says to her, You are blessed amongst women. And then she falls down, and you can almost picture it in your mind. She, she falls down in, in, in an overwhelming in, uh, um, feeling of, of God's grace in her life. This, this news hitting her uh, right between the eyes, right in the heart, and, and her embracing that, she falls down and she begins to, she begins to worship God. She begins to praise God for this, for this extraordinary grace that God has given her, that God has shown to her in this situation, in this scenario. It's interesting because we also experience a similar type of grace. And we'll look at that this morning in our closing. Before we get there, I want to look at a few things that help us to understand these emotions that Mary experiences. This, this song of praise, this, this song of worship, this song of honor to the Lord. What, what brings her to this point? What brings her to this state where she pours her heart out 
to God in, in front of others. And there are a few reasons why. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first thought is the cause of Mary's song. What brought her to a point where she begins to sing or praise God in this way? The first reason why Mary comes to this point is the grace of God. You'll see throughout, throughout the passage of Scripture uh, two times that Mary is called favored of the Lord. That she, had, she is told that she has found favor with God. And this word favor in both cases is simply the word for grace. It is the fact that Mary has found grace with God. She, had, she was favored by God. She was a graced one, a favored one. And when you think about the idea of somebody finding grace with God, and in this case with Mary, grace is not something that we find. And it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a figure of speech in which when, when grace finds you, when grace seeks you out, when God finds you in a, in a difficult situation or in a difficult moment, it's when, it's when grace finds you, when God chooses to place his favor on somebody, when God chooses to place his favor on an individual, like in this, in this case with Mary, when God chose to put his, put his favor on Mary and to call her into this extraordinary work, what he points out right away is this is God's grace towards her. This is not about a significant woman. It's about a significant God. It's not about a woman who is worthy of this. It's about a woman who is unworthy of it, but God has chosen to choose her, to pick her, to separate her out to do this extraordinary work. It is this, it is the appreciation for this, it is the understanding of this that drives Mary to her knees. It drives her to worship, it drives her to praise, it drives her to singing, is that she recognizes that this is not about me being great, but it's about my God choosing to show grace to an unworthy individual. God hath set his favor on me. We see this same principle back in Genesis chapter number 6, when the Bible says that Noah finds favor in the eyes of God. In other words, God puts his hand on Noah and he chooses and sets Noah aside and sets Noah apart to build an ark in which he and, and seven others will be rescued from God's extraordinary judgment that is going to come. It's when we recognize that God has put his hand of favor on us in spite of who we are. It's when we realize that, that we fall to our knees like Mary did and we, and we worship him. We honor him for who he is, and we recognize how extraordinary our blessings are. In the same way that the person who can hear for the first time recognizes the extraordinary gift of hearing, and the person who sees color for the first time recognizes the extraordinary gift of seeing, Mary recognizes the extraordinary gift of God's grace in choosing, in setting her apart to perform a extraordinary task, but it wasn't about her, it was about him. We see this principle with Abraham, we see this principle with Isaac, we see this principle with David, we see this principle with Mary, we see this principle all throughout scripture, we see this also laid out for us in Romans 9 where the scriptures talk about us being chosen or set apart by God for his grace. Ephesians 1 talk about that, talks about that same principle. It is the grace of God that brings Mary to her knees. It is the grace of God that brings about this marvelous song of praise 
to the Lord. When God chooses to put his hand on us, when God chooses to use us, when God chooses to bless us, when God chooses to minister to others through us, this is God's grace in our life, and this is God's grace in Mary's life. So twice she is told, you are favored of God. You have been chosen by God. You have been, you have been graced by God. You have been selected for this task. And this is a foundation. This is a, a prerequisite, if you will, to her worship. And may I submit to us this morning that it is, it is the same recognition of God's grace in our life. It's the same recognition of God's favor and God's kindness towards us that, that we, when we realize his, his grace and we recognize his goodness that we are worshipful towards him. It's not only God's grace that brings Mary to, to a point of worship, but it's also God's message it's the good news in this passage of scripture. Mary has brought this extraordinary news. She's given a message by God, by the angel Gabriel from God. She's given this extraordinary message of what God is going to accomplish, what God is going to do. She is told that she will conceive a child. It won't just be any child, but she'll She'll conceive in her womb by the Holy Spirit, God the Son or the Son of God. She is told that he will be the one that she will give birth to. But it's not just that she will give birth to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, but the text tells us that she will give birth to the one who will sit on the throne of David forever. This is the promised Messiah. This is the one for hundreds of years and even thousand years has been promised to the children of Israel. The one that they have been looking for as the deliverer. For 400 years, they have faced what, they know, what we know of as the dark ages, where there is no recognition of these things. And all of, a sudden, all of a sudden, we enter into this New Testament era, and we have this promise that comes to this, to this young girl, probably a, a young teenager. We have this extraordinary promise that fulfills hundreds, if not thousands of years of prophecy to the people of Israel. And I imagine knowing the Jewish people and the Hebrew people that she was aware of what this promise was. That the overwhelming nature of it was that she was perhaps reminded of the promise, but also refreshed of the fact that the promise is going to come to fruition. The promise is going to come to fulfillment. She was given an extraordinary message. And this extraordinary message brought her to a place of humble worship to the Lord. It brought her to a place where she would sing the Lord's praises. And we have the message of the gospel. It is very similar, the message of Christ being the deliverer. We don't get to have the message of Mary that says he's going to be birthed through us, but we have the message of the gospel that says he's going to live in us. And that the message of the gospel is that he's going to live in us, he's going to work through us is a wonderful promise that we have. It is an extraordinary grace of God. I wonder sometimes why it doesn't bring us to a state like it did to Mary. I wonder sometimes why we have maybe become so familiar with the idea or so, so expecting of the concept of the indwelling Holy Spirit, that the idea of it being a grace from God, the idea of it being something that he has gifted us with is is neither appreciated or worshipped. It's not honored that he lives within us and works through us. 
In Mary's case, it was. The reason, because it was so long promised and so much anticipation for the fulfillment that Mary was told she was going to be a part of this extraordinary fulfillment. And this overwhelmed her with emotions about the Lord. So we see, first of all, that she's overwhelmed by the grace of God because of his grace. We see, number two, that she's overwhelmed by the grace of God because of the message that she received, the the truth that was shared with her that would be um, fulfilled through her. These are backgrounds, if you will, to this extraordinary song. In the song, the content of Mary's song, if you're taking notes, what, in, what did Mary sing about? So in, in other words, when you think about how the grace of God impacts an individual, here's what Mary displays to us. Here's what Mary teaches us about how God's grace impacts us or how God's grace ought to impact us. And there's really three, there's, there's really three elements, if you will, to this song and they can be broken down in several different ways, but we're, we're just going to break them down by focus. And so, to begin with, Mary sings of herself. And she puts herself at the forefront of the beginning of her song in a, in a very humble way. Okay, she, she begins to sing of her undeservingness. Let me just read it to you. The Bible says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And in other words, what Mary refers to in the, in the very beginning is, is her, uh, her need for a Savior. <clears throat> she refers to the Lord as being her Savior in verse 40, um, 47. And then she talks about her humble estate, her, her insignificance. Mary sings with humility. She sings, she sings with a, a low view of self, but, but, a, but a high view of God. She recognizes that she has not been chosen or set apart because of, of anything within her. She realizes that her being chosen or set apart or graced is an act of God's kindness towards her. It's a part of his sovereign will and his sovereign plan. And she was thankful to be a part of it, but she recognized and identified right off the bat that this is not about a worthy woman. Well, we have many religions today that place Mary up on a pedestal, and they make her next to the Son of God. They make her an intercessor for us. She was never meant to be in that role. And I would submit to you this morning that she, if she were here today, would rebuke those of us that would put her, those of them that would put her in that role. Mary realized that it wasn't about her. It was about God the Son, that she had been chosen by God to deliver God the Son to the world. And it was about Him. And it was about Him and Him alone. She sees herself as being humble estate, an unworthy estate, an unworthy condition. She doesn't see her in an exalted state. It is the humility of her heart that in many ways is likely what 
was the Lord's intention of going to her. The Lord created within her a humble heart. The Lord caused her to be that type of person. And then the Lord chose her or selected her for that reason. She she speaks humbly about herself. She not only speaks humbly about herself, but you'll notice in verse number 46, Mary talks about this overwhelming um, passion for the Lord. She uses two terms to describe this. She uses soul and spirit, which really just encompasses all of who Mary was. In other words, Mary is saying, Mary's song is the overflowing of the core of Mary. It's not just an emotion. She starts off with the soul, which refers to the, inter, the innermost being. She magnifies the Lord from her soul, meaning simply that she makes much of the Lord. She exalts the Lord. John said, I must decrease so that the Lord must increase. This is what Mary is saying right from the beginning, that her soul made much of the Lord, exalted the Lord, elevated the Lord. Why? Because she sees all of these gifts and all of this all of this grace as being something that she does not deserve, but God has chosen her to, to minister it. He's chosen her to bear the Son of God. The Spirit is a term that describes the outward being, the, the emotions, the feelings. It's not just Mary overflowing from the inside, but it actually affects the outside. And people have said, well, you know something, I'm, I'm joyful on the inside, I'm just, I'm just miserable on the outside. But when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of our heart and graces us with an understanding of who we are and who he is, and he overwhelms us with that, it's not just going to be an, an internal joy, it's going to be also something that overflows to the outside. It's going to fill our emotions, we're going to be excited about God and the things of God. We're going to enjoy talking about and communicating about God because he is flowing in us and flowing through us. So Mary's response is one of internal, uh, one of internal making much of God and one of an external expression of joy. The term literally means to, to jump for joy. Mary on the inside is magnifying the Lord and on the outside she's overwhelmed with joy and excitement about the news that she has received and about the grace of God towards her. You can put yourself in Mary's shoes. There are probably thousands of women during that day and age that God could have chosen to put his favor on, right? There's probably other places that he could have gone and picked a woman to bear God's son, But he chose her. He selected her. She recognized that and it overwhelmed her. This grace overwhelmed her internally and it overwhelmed her her externally as well. Her soul was full and satisfied and her spirit was overwhelming and overflowing with joy. We see this picture and how she runs to Elizabeth's house and that's the idea. Obviously she didn't run there. It would have been quite a run She did not run there, but that's the terminology that's used here. It's describing that she's so overwhelmed with this information that she she runs, she speedily, she immediately goes to to Elizabeth's house to share this information with her. 
And she embraces her. You can almost put yourself in her shoes where she just embraces her. And then, she, and then Elizabeth uh, says, blessed are you among women. In other words, you have, been, you have been set apart in an amazing way amongst women. And Mary falls down in that moment. Right when she hears those words, she hears a level of, if you will, a praise from Elizabeth. She falls down and she worships God. She elevates God. She recognizes God in the situation and God in the story because it's not about her. It is about him. And Christmas is about Jesus. It's not about Mary. It's not about three wise men. It's not about, it's not about or a number of wise men. We don't know how many they were. This, the song tells us three. We are, it's not about them it's not about the shepherds who came. It's not about any of it's not about Herod. It's not about any of those. Those are all narratives surrounding this event that was Jesus Christ, God's Son, entering into the world. That's what it's about. There's so much surrounding this story. There's so much stories going on here and there with all these different events and activities and things that we can get lost in those things. But listen, this is a focus on Christ. God's only son being born through a woman and a woman being chosen by God, not because, she is, not because she is significant, because God in his grace has chosen her to bear the son of God. Let us not elevate the means by which God accomplishes things, but let us elevate what he accomplishes through the means. There's so much that we can gain from this as we look at our own lives and see the grace of God being ministered to us. And how easy it is to begin to embrace the means of which God is accomplishing and begin to look at circumstances and situations. And those things become the elevated things in our life and we lose sight of Jesus through whom and to whom is the glory. We must refocus back to where things are meant to be focused on and that is on Jesus Christ. So she sings with this overflowing joy in her heart and this making much of God. And by making much of God, as John says, we make little of self. They are harmonious together. She magnifies the Lord. She's selfless and humble. She's selfless or humble also in her praise to the Lord. I think it's very interesting as we look at this song of praise. I think humility is really at the core of it. Everything that Mary talks about is about humble people. It's about bringing people down low. It's about making people see their insignificance. If you read the song, you will see that people are insignificant and God and Christ is what matters. It... it, it if you think about it for a moment, again, we're, we're entering into a moment where, where a woman has received extraordinary information from God, and these are the first words that she speaks. These words matter. She doesn't just break out into, into uh, explanation. She breaks out into song, and she breaks out into song in such a way that God is exalted and mankind is made low. This is what grace does. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 that God has chosen the weak things. God has chosen the insignificant things. God has chosen the foolish things. Why? So that the world might be confounded. So that when, when anybody stands before God, no flesh will glory in his presence, but we will glory in the Lord. 
She sings about this humility. She sings about this emptiness. She sings about, about this, this, this brokenness of herself that God would choose her, that God would select her, that God would appoint her to carry out such an extraordinary task. She sees herself as low. She's overwhelmed with joy for the Lord. She magnifies him from the inside and from the outside. She recognizes her own humble estate. She realizes, if you'll notice in verse number 48, she says, you have looked on my humble estate. Again, which references is her unworthiness. The word means, and I don't say this to be inappropriate, but the word means has a level of vileness to it. it, it it's, not, it's not an exalting term. The Lord has looked upon me in my lowly estate. The Lord has looked upon me in my unworthy estate. And this is important to the exaltation of the Lord. It is when we see ourselves for who we are and we recognize his grace in our lives, this is when we praise him worthily. But watch what he says here. Um, for he hath looked, he, verse 47, and, and he says, and my spirit rejoices, or verse 46, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And notice at the end of that verse, she talks about God, Christ, being her Savior as well. Those of us who, those in the world who teach Mary as not needing a Savior don't recognize Mary's own words here in this passage of Scripture, that Christ was her Savior as well. She was a lowly person, a sinful person, an unworthy person, just like the rest of us. Watch what, he, watch what she says here. For God has looked on my humble estate of his servant, of the humble estate of his servant, and behold, this is a phrase of look or see or notice or pay attention to this. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. What Mary realizes is the transformation that God performs in an individual's life based upon grace. The change of being, of going from being guilty to being innocent. The change from going to being unworthy to being worthy. The transformation from being unusable to being usable. The change that God's grace makes in our life, the transformation that God makes in our life overwhelms her. She says, behold, she sees herself as unworthy, as undeserving, but she says, behold, now all the earth will see me as being blessed. Meaning mankind's perspective, mankind's opinion of Mary will completely change. She speaks of herself in humility. Number two, she speaks of herself. She speaks of God with appreciation. The Bible says again, verse 48, for he has looked on my humble estate, or the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will see me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Or another way of saying that would be, and, and he is called holy. 
In other words, what Mary is pointing out here is that the one who is holy, the one who is righteous, the one who is just, the one who is without sin, the one who is perfectly holy in every way has done this for me. He is, again, she is exalting his stature. She's exalting who he is. And he has, he has humbled himself in a, a lowly estate, taking on the form of a man to, to do these amazing things for us. She sings in appreciation to God. She sings in such a way as she recognizes that God is the author of all of these things. The text literally says in verse number 38, or 48, for he has looked. And if you just stop for that with that simple word, it just simply means that God actually paid attention to me. God actually regarded me. He recognized me. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that God's eyes go throughout the whole earth, going to and fro, looking for someone through whom he might display himself powerful. And his gaze, listen, here's what Mary is saying. His gaze stopped on me. And you might would ask Mary the question, why do you think God's gaze stopped on you? And do you know what Mary's answer would be? I don't know. There's nothing in me that makes me think that God's gaze, this is what confounded her. This is what astonished her. This is what amazed her about the grace of God. There is no reason that God's gaze would stop on her. May I submit to us this morning, when it comes to the gospel of salvation, there's no reason why God's gaze stopped on you. It was an extraordinary grace that God showed you that he was gazing throughout the whole earth. And for some unknown reason to mankind, he stopped on me. You see, this is what is overwhelming about God's grace when we recognize that it wasn't about us, it was all about him. When God found John Prudiman, he did not find a trophy. He found a pile of worthlessness. And he made something to where that the world would say that he is blessed or that she is blessed from this generation forward. And it's not because John Prettyman is blessed. It's because God is a blesser. I'm just a manifestation of God's goodness and his grace. And this is what brings us to a state of true humility and worship to him is when we recognize Why did God stop on me? For no reason to do with me, for every reason to do with him. Mary wants it to be clear in her song that it wasn't about her, it was about him. The Bible says, if anyone be in Christ, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Mary in her song focuses on the strength of the Lord. She focuses on the work of the Lord, the power of the Lord, the might of the Lord, the transformational work of the Lord. You see, in every way, when we look at Mary's song, we can compare it to the salvation work of Christ in our lives and realize that it's not about us. It is all truly about him. Mary speaks of the mercy of the Lord. His mercies endure forever. 
You know what the word mercy means? When, everybody, when anybody ever speaks about themselves as having received mercy, do you know what that means? It means that they were completely undeserving of any kindness. They were deserving of wrath, and God chose to show them favor. This is what Mary recognizes. We're reminded in Psalm 136 that his mercy endures forever. She's saying a song of humility towards herself. She's saying a song of praise towards God, a praise, a song of thanksgiving towards the Lord. And then the latter part of her song is very, very important because it is, it is a song of expectation about Jesus. The close of this, the close of Mary's song is all of the things that Christ, as he comes into this world, all of the things that he is going to accomplish, the things that through Christ will be accomplished in his, in his person, that by his birth, these things are spoken of as if they're already accomplished. accomplished. Listen to what he says. He has shown strength with his arm. This is Christ. This is God showing strength through Christ's birth. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought low the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Christ is going to do this. This is going to be the work of Christ. Christ is going to take the valleys and raise them up and take the mountaintops and lower them so that everything is on one playing field. No one is better or no one is less. The Bible says that all are under sin and therefore there is an equality amongst mankind and a need for a savior. He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. In other words, in the remembrance of his promises, he, has, he, has, he is fulfilling, he is satisfying those promises in the Old Testament through the birth of Christ. As he spoke to his, our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary speaks of the accomplishments that she expects to happen in Christ. This is the hope that we have as we look at Christ. And in this moment, again, these are events that are, that, are, that are futuristic, but there's a recognition of the promises of God that would take place in the Messiah, right? So there are, there's an understanding that there are promises of God that would take place in the Messiah, and then the Messiah is going to come, and so these things are going to be fulfilled. I ask myself this question, how many promises that God has made in the Messiah do I expect? Would I be able to write a story here, a song that I am singing about all of the promises of the Messiah being fulfilled in John Prettyman's life? The changes and the transformation that Christ is going, he promises to be able to make in our life. The deliverance that he's capable of bringing in our life. These promises, are they being played out? Can we sing with Mary? Christ, you have accomplished these things in and through us. What has Christ done for us so that we might kneel down and worship him? Let me give you the list here. We read the verses, but let me give you the list. The work of Christ... The work of Christ reveals the power or the strength of God. The work of Christ scatters, separates, routes those who are proud and self-exalted. 
He brings, he brings John the Baptist onto the scene, right? You'd think he'd bring somebody of significance. He just brings this guy that's clothed in camel hair and, and eating honey, right? He is insignificant. And he is, a, he is the one who is going to precede the Messiah. He's the one that's going to proclaim the Messiah. He scatters the haughty and the, and the self-exalted and the proud. He uses their imaginations and the thoughts and feelings to do this. He brings them low. He brings low the mighty. He exalts those who are of a humble estate. The same word that's used here about Mary. He exalts those who are low, abased, and vile. He exalts them. He satisfies the hungry, but he leaves the he leaves the proud without anything. The word means useless, worthless, void of truth. He will help his servant Israel as a reminder of his grace, and he will fulfill the promises that he has made in the Old Testament in and through Christ. All of these things are futuristic, and we look at them from Mary's perspective, and we see, again, these promises in the Old Testament being fulfilled in Christ's birth. But again, there is more to the story. The birth of Christ was going to impact Mary. The birth of Christ was going to impact the Jewish people. But the birth of Christ was also going to impact the world. This is the message that we have today. This is our challenge in our life. So the content of Mary's song. And then the last thing this morning is the challenge. What can we learn from this? We ask ourselves the question this morning as we stop and meditate on this woman's extraordinary response or overwhelming response, maybe is a better word, to God's grace in her life. We ask ourselves the question, when's the last time? I ask myself the question, when's the last time that I responded in an overwhelmed way by the grace of God? When's the last time that God has done something in my life that brought me to a point of being on my knees or to a place where I wanted to sing a song of praise to him because his grace was sufficient and significant in my, in my life? When's the last miracle that God performed in your world that caused you to want to sing praise to him? May I submit to you that we're a culture not, that doesn't recognize God's grace as much as we ought but we're also a culture that recognizes the absence of God's grace way too much. In other words, we focus more on our problems than we do on our blessings. We focus more on the times that God doesn't give us what we think we deserve versus God gracing us every single day. We must never forget that the very breath that we breathe is a gift from God. When's the last time did breathing overwhelm you? When's the last time that having a wife overwhelm you, having a husband overwhelm you, having children overwhelm you? When's the last time that God's goodness in your life overwhelmed you? I know that you guys have been overwhelmed before, right? You know when someone's over, when one of your friends is overwhelmed, you know it, don't you? How do you know when one of your friends is overwhelmed? Because they call you, right? In, in the same way, and I know Mary didn't have a phone, right? But in the exact same context, Mary was overwhelmed by God's goodness. So what did she want to do? She wanted to share it with other people. We know when a person is overwhelmed by the goodness of God, by their passion to share it with other people, by how it flows not just in them, 
but how it flows through them, how it comes out of them. In Nebraska, we're all known as corn huskers, right? And you, none of you will understand that because you're not from Nebraska. But if you've ever been in Nebraska, you are a corn husker. And you know that you're a corn husker because you can't enter the state and go to a restaurant without somebody talking to you about the corn huskers. It flows through them. They want to share it with everybody because they're overwhelmed by it. It's nothing really that significant, right? And it really doesn't compare to the grace of God in our lives, but yet it's really, really important to the people in Nebraska. Listen, that, that should pale in comparison to how we respond to the grace of God in our lives. And we're overwhelmed by God's grace, astonished by God's grace, amazed at God's grace. God, why would you give me life? Why would you sustain me? Why would you bless me with a wife? Why would you bless me with a husband? Why would you bless me with children? Why would you bless me with a home? Why would you bless me with vehicles? Why would you bless me with a job? Why would you do these things? And then embracing those things as gifts from God and using them for his glory. What what can we learn from this? The greatest of graces for us is the grace of salvation. That God has chosen us before the foundation of the world. Never question that. The Bible teaches in Ephesians 1 that God has chosen us before the foundation of the world. Literally meaning that God has put his hand of favor on you. Why did he do that? You say, what was special about me? It wasn't about you. God looked down from heaven and he saw a world of people who 100% did not like him, did not want him, did not pursue him. There is none righteous, no, not even one. So if God was looking down from heaven to look for somebody who was pursuing him, who was righteous, he would find zero. People are saved in the world today not because God found worthy people, but because God is a gracious God. And when you embrace that, it will change your perspective on God's goodness and it will create out of you a worshipful person. It is the salvation that God brings into our life that causes us to worship him. It's the grace It is the gospel that comes into our life. God saves through the gospel. God God overwhelmed Mary with a message, right? God overwhelms us with a message. Ask yourself the question, why did God birth me into a country where the message is allowed to be preached? It's grace. Why is it that 27 or 28% of the world that have never ever heard the name of Jesus, why is it that I wasn't born into one of those places? You see, the grace of God is surrounding us every moment of our lives. But it's not driving us to our knees. It's driving us to being more demanding and more unworshipful or proud than anything else. The grace and the gospel And then how do we respond to it? 
How should this impact us? The recognition of God's grace in all of these areas, how should that impact us? It should impact us by creating a joy and an excitement and a desire to tell others about Christ. The commission is this. All power has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, therefore, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because of Christ, we do all of these things. We need to be humble about self. We need to realize and recognize our unworthiness and our being undeserving so that we maximize our appreciation for the grace of God. We need to respect and acknowledge all that God has done for us, realizing that he is the giver of these gifts and we are simply the receiver of them. And then we need to have an expecting heart when it comes to what Christ is capable of accomplishing. You think about it, Mary was, Mary was told that, that Jesus was going to come, going to be placed into her, and he was going, she was going to be born, and she was going to transform the world, right? Or he was going to transform the world, right? So you have been told that the Spirit of Christ is going to come live within you, and he is going to transform the world. What's our response? What's our response to that? What's our expectation? Can we write a song like Mary and say, hey, you're going you're gonna to humble the proud. You're going to bring low the mighty. We, do we even expect that today anymore? This is how we should respond. Have you been astonished by God's grace recently? Have you been astonished in such a way as to trust him, to tell others about him, to worship him, and to have expectations of him? Mary's response to Christ, to God's message, and to God's grace ought to motivate us this morning. It ought to motivate us to worship. It ought to motivate us to recognize. It ought to, it ought to motivate us to share. It ought to, it ought to motivate us to serve. It ought to motivate us to joy. It ought to motivate us to, hum, to humility. It ought to, it ought to motivate us to submission. Mary is no different than us. She was chosen by God to do a perform an extraordinary task, and we have been chosen by God to perform an extraordinary task. This morning, if you're here and you're not a believer, you do not know Christ, you do not understand what it means to have a Savior, let me, let me just say this to you, that like Mary, we all need a Savior. Maybe you've been in a religion that taught Mary didn't need a Savior. She clearly states that she needed a Savior, and we all need a Savior. So what can we do in order to get the Lord's attention to save us? Bible tells us back in Isaiah that the Lord's eyes or the Lord's attention is on those who are of a broken and contrite spirit and those who tremble at the Lord's word. First John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The issue this morning is not that you come to Jesus and say, I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior. The issue is that you come to Jesus and you identify to him that you're not worthy that you express to him that you're sinful, that you're undeserving, 
that you deserve God's wrath and are currently under God's wrath. The issue is, is that you come to God in honest humility and you know this, that everyone who comes to him in honest humility and brokenness, he will receive. That's how wonderful he is. I mean, just picture it with me for a moment. It's like somebody running up to you and telling you how amazing you are, how amazing they are, and then asking you for 20 bucks. Right? You're just going to say to them, no, I, I think you'll be fine. You can take care of it on your own. But imagine somebody coming up to you with a true, humble, broken heart and asking you for something, a true attrition about them, and pleading and begging if you have any type of compassion, you will bless them. And our God is a God of compassion. His compassion overwhelms any thought that we might have of compassion. So if we will come to him, not like the man who prayed and said all of these great things about himself, but we will be like the man who said, Lord, I am a sinner. Please show me mercy. He will walk away justified while the other one would not. If you're not saved this morning, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, go to him. He is a wonderfully gracious, merciful, forgiving God. What he desires from you is a recognition of who you are so that when you experience his grace, you glorify his name. He has chosen the weak things he has chosen the foolish things. He has chosen the insignificant things. Why? So that in the end, no flesh will glory in his presence. But those who glory will glory in him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this, um, this narrative that you give us of Mary that as she experiences the wonderful grace of of your favor and your kindness towards her as she hears this extraordinary message of what you're going to accomplish in her and as she responds with this, this song of praise and worship, I pray that you'll help us, Lord, to embrace the grace that we have received in salvation, that we will also recognize our unworthiness and embrace the, the really unbelievable level of grace you have shown and that the result, Lord God, would be praise, it would be worship, it would be honor to your name, it would be making much of you and little of us, it would be sharing you with others, that we would be overwhelmed as she was, and that it would all be to your glory, because you alone are worthy of it. Please bless us as we go from this place. Be with us, Lord, throughout this week. May we do that which is pleasing in your sight. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.